and welcome to episode 11 of the Replatform podcast. It's um, with me, James Gerd, as co-host, and Paul Rogers joining uh, us again today. Hey, Paul, how you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. How was your weekend? Did you have fun? Uh, it was good. It was very relaxing, did some exercise, that's about it, really. What about you? Excellent, yeah, a mixture of healthy and unhealthy, so a bit of exercise, a bit too many beer, a few too many beers yesterday, but uh, looking forward to waking my brain up on today's podcast. Right. Uh, should we get cracking? Yeah, let's go. Amazing. So today we are talking about TCO, Total Cost of Ownership. Uh, to some people this might sound a little bit dry and uninspiring, but it's an absolutely critical component of any e-commerce project, specifically around replatforming because there are so many different costs involved in a replatforming project. And if you don't fully understand or have transparency about all of these costs, you can sometimes make an investment decision that um, isn't an accurate picture of what it's going to cost the business in terms of capex and opex. And this can cause several problems later on. If you underestimate your cost, you could run out of budget and therefore have to make compromises to the project and the scope of deliverables. The other thing you might have to do is go cap in hand to a finance team who will not be delighted with you if you suddenly turn around and say, actually, it's going to cost us another £50,000 because I hadn't answered these costs here. So total cost of ownership is really important. Having a, uh, a transparent and clear model of TCO up front to understand how the costs change over the first few years of the life cycle of the product at least helps you set realistic expectations internally about what costs are going to be incurred and when they're going to be incurred. So today we're going to get in a bit more detail. Both myself and Paul have done a lot of work with client teams around building um, cost models and understanding the cost implications of platform decisions. So we're going to get a bit under the hood, share some information, insights, and give you some pointers on where you should focus essentially. Um, and one of the key things we want to do is at least give you that uh, intelligence and understanding so that you can go off and have the right discussions with various partners when you're going through this process. Does that sound like a, a reasonable enough summary of what we're going to do today, Paul? Yeah, I think so. Excellent. So let's just start, uh, start at the beginning, then we'll work through into a bit more detail. So as I said, TCO is total cost of ownership. It's not just about what it costs to build a new website or the fees you have to pay a technology partner to, to buy a license for them. Those are core cost components, and Paul's going to elaborate on, all, on the different kinds of cost streams in a minute. But often people make that mistake. They look at it and say, okay, how much is this platform going to be? It's uh, 150000 to build, and it's £30,000 license fee. Great, that's my total cost, but it's not. That's only one element of it. So a cost model is fuller than this. And as I said, Paul taught you through the different work streams. And that's an important starting point is you're talking about total cost of ownership, not just build um, and license fee costs. So that's TCO. Then how should it be structured? I typically recommend my client teams that they build out a TCO model over at least a three-year period. Often we do it five years. And the reason for this is if you're spending time and money going through a replatforming exercise, the last thing you want to have to do um, is redo cost models um, two years down the line. And also, you don't really want to be um, doing a cost model based on uh, one or two years on the assumption that you might change your, your partner um, and technology down on, in year three. You don't want to be uh, building that assumption. You want to be building on the basis this is a long-term investment and you'll monetize your investment by doing it over three to five years. So three to five years gives you a better window of understanding over 
what of your um, guess a good way of point of position this is what percentage of your total GMV sales that you're planning to deliver through e-commerce over the next five years is going to be uh, attributed to platform costs because over time you'd expect that percentage to drop off because you have much higher upfront costs around build etc so by looking over a five-year lifetime you get to see a much better um, and get a much better understanding of really what your overall cost is sometimes the the upfront cost can be a five six seven percent of gmv in year one down to one to two percent by year five that helps finance teams get a better understanding of what the cost flow and cost impact is over a lifetime not just from an upfront point of view so structure it over three to five years and then within each year you have a set number of cost lines so that you can look how each type of cost will vary from year to year uh, and then that helps plan out things like capex and opex budgets um, for finance teams and they will they will thank you heartily for going into that detail instead of just giving them a one one sum of saying right it's five hundred thousand pounds and then they look at you and say well, okay but what does that uh, involve yeah how, how much of that can we basically put into our, our capex and offset it versus how much of that's going to be operational cost so it really helps to get that clear structure uh, I, I've got a, on my website uh, I have a um, an e-commerce guide on digitaljuggler.com if you go to the e-commerce free platform and the how-to expert guys there is a guide to TCO models and there is an example one in there I'll put a if you're um, if you want to go to the replatform website as well on this post, there'll be a link to that to help you. So I think that's probably that's probably a good summary of, of what it is, how it should be structured, what it looks like. I think it'd be really useful now for me to hand over to you, Paul, talk people through the cost signs that they should be considering within a TCO model. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess um, just to say initially, like this will differ dependent on the platforms you're looking at and the type of business you are um, and various other variables. Um, but in terms of kind of the obvious ones, uh, so to start off with, you'd have the build cost. So the initial cost um, via maybe via an SI or you may be doing it internally. But if you are using an SI, um, it may also be made up of different factors depending on the agency. Um, so a lot of agencies would split out discovery and it may be that they split out design as well. Um, so whether that's one uh, line item or three, um, that's one of the main um, areas. You then have the platform licensing, which will be, which is likely going to be different models depending on the different platforms, but James will talk about that in a bit. Um, you then have hosting fees, uh, again, dependent on the platform, because the SaaS platforms, you won't have that as a separate line item. Um, but if you're using an on-premise platform, you will. Um, any integration support, so that could be via a third party or it could be something like um, an iPaaS uh, solution or a platform like Patchworks or Soligo. Um, yep, things like that. Um, you then have the ongoing costs uh, with the SI, so that might be a support retainer initially, which could be kind of platform and application maintenance. Um, and then you'd have the ongoing kind of BAU roadmap retainer, which might be uh, kind of new features and kind of improvements to the platform and front end. Um, so yeah, so they're, they're ones that I always, that I find that a lot of people don't look at necessarily up front when they're uh, starting to look at platforms. It's more when agencies come in, um, but that's quite an important one to spend time looking at. Um, you then have platform upgrades, and that's another one where it's often missed, but dependent on the platform you're using, you could easily uh, spend 20 to 50 grand a year on um, upgrades. Um, and that's an important one to include. 
Um, third parties, so with most platforms, you're gonna use a third party search provider, you might use a third party personalization solution, um, and then you've got things like modules or apps um, and kind of various other technology partners, um, another one that needs to be included. Um, and then external resources, so you've got, so say for example, you use an SEO consultant um, through the project or you use an external uh, testing agency or person, um, and then you might outsource things like data migration as well. So that all needs to be planned based on your kind of team structure um, and requirements going into the project. Um, and then there'll be various other things as well. So things like payment fees with certain platforms, um, maybe the way that the uh, licensing structured, you might go in between tiers. Um, so that's another thing that needs to be factored in. Um, and then it might be that you go for things like extra training as well. Um, so this is just a bit that they're some of the kind of main ones that are worth looking at. Excellent. I, I think it's really useful actually because you've introduced some some terminology in there which which people need to understand because that can add costs in that are not core to an e-commerce platform. So I think you mentioned like iPass um, infrastructure platforms as a service, and there's I think you referenced Patchworks, didn't you? Um, lots of different um, vendors in that space: Patchworks, Sligo, etc. And they are for those who haven't come across this technology before, they are integration platforms. So you might have an e-commerce platform you decide to invest in, and then you've got back office systems like an ERP, CRM, and you don't want to do point-to-point -point hard coding because that's, see, you know, that, that creates um, risk in the future because if you suddenly have to change one of those systems, you have to unpick all that code and read it again. So the aim of an integration platform is to, is to I, I guess, put a separation layer between commerce and other systems so that all of a sudden you can add not only the cost of licenses on that, but you can also add integration fees with that specialist partner into it. So it's really important to understand the architectural um, vision for e where e-commerce fits in, because there might be additional costs you need to incur in a project beyond the core cost paid to an e-commerce vendor, for example. So yeah, really, really good way of breaking the structure of that down. Thanks, Paul. I think what we wanted to talk about now is, is um, some of the, you know, what do you often find, having worked with lots of uh, clients on this, what do you find people often underestimate or miss out and don't think about in terms of their cost models? Yeah, so one that I touched on then, I think is probably the biggest one, is the kind of operational expenses of the platform. Um, so this is either missed or underestimated. Um, so I talked a bit about the retainers and kind of agency fees, um, which potentially, I mean, so dependent on the way you structure the process of the RFP, um, some people would select a platform and then start talking to the agencies. And then it might not be until further down the line where they start to realize um, kind of the um, expenditure around maintaining the platform or um, working with a particular SI. Um, and that's probably one of the biggest frustrations I think I've seen from people that have maybe selected a platform, gone through the build, and then found that the TCO wasn't quite as accurate as they thought it might be. Um, and that might be that actually platform maintenance is, is costing them, I don't know, 50 grand a year, um, and they hadn't budgeted for that at all. Um, so with a platform like Magento, you need to allow for a certain level of kind of support and maintenance uh, budget, um, and then also allow for things like platform upgrades. And that applies to a lot of platforms, um, less so the SaaS platforms, but it's something that definitely needs to be factored in. Um, and then beyond that, I guess, some of those external resources as well. So um, a lot of the builds, that, uh, some of the bigger builds that I've worked on, um, people have maybe... Um, 
underestimated the amount of work there is around things like content and data migration around testing as well um, and then they've had to pull in a third party to resource those areas um, so that's definitely another one and then SEO is another one as well so um, there's been various projects where I've been pulled in late and I've highlighted the risks on an SEO from an SEO perspective and then they've had to pull in um, a consultant um, and the amount of work that consultant needs to do might differ dependent on uh, which platforms they're migrating to and from and again that won't have been factored into the TCO in that scenario um, and then all of the other things that I mentioned towards the end as well so things like extra training um, payment fees any professional services hours from the platforms as well um, yeah they're kind of the items that a lot of people when they do a TCO they're probably going to focus more on the design and build um, the platform licensing obvious costs like hosting um, and then maybe have some kind of line items against um, uh, the ongoing development cost and then third parties but everything else can be missed quite easily it's only when you go into kind of a lot of detail or you work with maybe a consultant that you start to think about some of the other costs which can definitely add up as well yeah as pesky consultants who make people think about the details um it, it's so important though you've touched on a few of the ones where suddenly you can get an unexpected cost line in even if it's five thousand pounds if you have a very tight budget you get two or three of those and suddenly that's a chunk of money that that you've got to find are you either means you make compromises elsewhere or you have to go cap in hand to a finance team who don't like you for giving them an unexpected cost and it's one of the things that I've found is that operationally that, that teams don't always sit down and think about what change is going to happen to them when they use a different platform than the one they've been used to. And if that platform is, is very similar in terms of say if they're on a SaaS platform and they're used to having the hosting and application management done by the provider and they move to another SaaS platform where it's exactly the same, fantastic. It's a very similar operating model. But if they suddenly move from say a Shopify to a Magento where they have to have and they're not using the, the Magento Commerce Cloud and they're using an on-premise and they've got to think about hosting, the support maintenance around hosting as well as uh, the overall application. And then think about who's doing that. Do they have the right technology partner or do they need to get a different partner? It's You have all these additional questions that kind of compound off the back of changing the, the core underlying technology model. Yeah, I think the other one is that BAU piece as well in terms of ongoing development. If you've got an ongoing development budget of let's say 60 grand a year, um, the thing, like you don't realize that maybe going from, let's say you go from a Shopify to a Salesforce, the cost of doing, of kind of um, adding new features and kind of customizing the platform is so much higher. And that 60 grand could very easily go on like a couple of new features that might have been really straightforward in Shopify. Um, and obviously different platforms have different benefits um, and different um, kind of costs in different areas. But yeah, that's something that I think is often missed or underestimated. Definitely. And that's why I always say to people, and I know that you do exactly the same thing, it's build contingency into your plan. Because even when you're starting off, and even if you ask the, get the questions, the level of detail that we think is necessary, and we know what well, we know is necessary from previous experience, things can still come out of the woodwork that surprise you there might be a, you know an added complexity of an integration that wasn't foreseen and you know there might you might be using a platform like Shopify that's got a, an app that does a NetSuite connector but actually the NetSuite version that the client is on has been customized and therefore that app integration needs a bit of tweaking in order to make it work and that's suddenly added £10,000 to the project so is why I talk about contingency so add a contingency to your initial build um, development you know integration costs 
Uh, I typically tell people to add 15%. You know, it's arbitrary, 10, 15, 20%. The whole point is get people in the habit of realizing that sometimes costs are more than you anticipate, even if you do proper due diligence. And I guess the other one, uh, which you're touching on there, is in terms of the build. Um, if you're not working to a fixed fee or a certain proportion of the project isn't fixed, um, it's really easy, particularly with a project on something like Magento or Salesforce, um, to go significantly over budget around the build. And I guess that's the other thing, like you say, contingency allows for that, but also like a certain level of kind of due diligence and really kind of putting a lot of emphasis on the discovery. Yeah. Definitely. And it's interesting you made the point about SEO and often find this around site migration where where a, a vendor will say, yes, we're SEO friendly and we'll migrate your site. But actually what migration means is not doing a full technical SEO audit and technical migration. It is we'll migrate your data, we'll migrate your URLs. Yeah. That might not be right. You might need to change. You might want to change your navigation taxonomy, your structure, your indexation controls. And all of a sudden you've got a gap between what the client is comfortable with doing and knowledgeable about and what the vendor does as their standard process. And then you, then you get to that point of, ah, yes, we did need that contingency after all. So getting people into the habit of understanding where things create surprises is quite, I think, what I know is a very useful uh, exercise to take a client team through ahead of the project. I, I know that you do that quite a bit as well, don't you? Yeah. Cool. So I think that's quite a nice overview for people about the types of costs lines that need to be thought in some of the considerations some of the key surprises what's often missed what would be useful because we've talked about different models let's let's move on to how the different platform license fees and models work so i'll touch on a few of them and then it'd be useful for you to expand um from your knowledge as well paul okay okay great so i'm gonna pick out four key ones i mean there are i mean there are 20 30 viable platforms out there I mean, probably more if you look at every single um local market but of the big ones, of ones that typically get into things like Gartner and Forrester reports. And I like to break them down by the core structure of how the license fee is based. So I'm going to start with GMV percentage fee. So uh, gross merchandise value, um, you know, the revenue going through the platform, whether that is online sale or you're using it as a POS system. It's anything where the revenue is going through the e-commerce platform. And so these are platforms like Salesforce where you would pay a percentage fee and yeah, that percentage fee will be applied to whatever revenue goes through. Now that, that percentage varies depending on size. So if you're a 300 million plus retailer, you're not paying the same percentage as a 100,000 pound a year. The percentage fee is proportionally higher, the lower the revenue turnover, obviously because if you kept it consistent and they say it was 3%, when you get to 300 million pounds, that's an insane amount of money you'll be paying a license. So there are flat fee structures and some of them, uh, Salesforce for example, would look at the commitments that you make to GMV over the lifetime so maybe you're doing a four-year contract and you're committed to a total of 200 million in GMV they would define a percentage um, point that you pay and then they would spread that equally across the four years of that license so it doesn't scale up it would be a flat fee across the four years based on your total commitments and you can change it you could say actually no we want a three-year uh, commitment or we want a five-year we want to commit to less and the percentage point goes up and down depending on the level of commitment. Obviously, from the vendor's point of view, the more you commit to, the better for them. Therefore, they are more open to negotiation, so you generally get a better percentage. But that means you have the higher risk if your trading plans don't, don't work and you're actually not hitting your GMV targets. So then you need to enter you know, contractual renegotiations based on the reality of your, your sales growth. So that's one area. 
You also have um, some SaaS platforms like Shopify that, that do it on a flat rate GMV. I think if I've got it right, Paul, Shopify Plus, I think it's 0.25% flat rate, isn't it? When you're over $800,000 a month in GMV. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, and that is, from from what I understand, that is non-negotiable, at least as it stands. So you can't negotiate that. You pay that regardless of size. Yeah, I've um, I've tried to negotiate them with them a lot, and I've never got anywhere. So yeah, I'm pretty sure it's non-negotiable. Good. It's it's not just me being absolutely appalling at having negotiation yeah. conversations. And fantastic. So that's that's one of the key models. Some people like it. I mean, for finance people, it's quite simple because it's okay. Great. If we if we sell more, we pay more. Therefore, our exposure is based on um, us looking at our, our profitability and our profit model and what percentage fee we can afford to absorb within that. The next key um, model from a license fee point of view is revenue tier. So Magento uh, does this for its, its commerce enterprise. Um, see, the open source one, there isn't a license fee, but in commerce there is. And it's revenue tiered. So when you hit a band of revenue... Um, I can't, Paul, you'll be able to elaborate on this better than me because I can never remember the revenue tiers. But say, for example, it might be naught to 5 million, you pay a certain um, fee per annum. Then when you move up to the next revenue band, that per annum fee goes up to the next um, license fee tier. I don't know if you, I probably haven't explained that very well, Paul. No, so, yeah, and there's a lot of variables with Magenta as well that they tend to use. Um, and you can often find that if you've got two retailers turned over the same amount of money, the fees will be uh, pretty different. Um, and that could be done. I know they use things like team size and, and there's a few other things they factor in. Um, but yeah, so basically, so we had a client recently um, where their projections were, so let's say it was $9 million year one, um, $15 million year two, and then like $27 million year three. And over that time period, so $9 million falls into the under $10 million um, tier and then they pay a certain amount for that year and then as soon as they exceed that and go into the 10 to 25 they then pay a higher rate which is uh, also built into the contract and then as soon as you exceed 25 it then goes up again um, and that's kind of how it's structured okay that's, that's really nice to pull out the nuances of that and I, I think that's a key thing is is some some uh, vendors there is no negotiation you you pay that fixe and others i guess it's it's more malleable depending on on your business size structure how much usage you'll get the platform cool they're also they are also quite negotiable and like um that i think they tend to differ it quite a lot for the b2b retailers uh, because like you said with salesforce like the more you turn over um the general kind of rules tend to apply less or like they tend to have different ways of looking at it um but yeah they they are quite uh, negotiable as well yeah i think the negotiation stuff is a really key thing to, to emphasize to people listening is is you have market rates and it's for a lot of the platforms you can go and find their market rates quite easy by doing just some searches online or go to the vendors websites and look at their pricing info others it's much harder some some models for example ibm i know historically i, I don't know currently because i haven't worked with it for a few years but there, it was um, much more complex to try and work out because it was based on computational usage around servers, yeah. cores, et cetera. And that becomes, unless you've got a technical person with you, it becomes much harder to try and get an understanding of what you would be incurring. But other ones, um, negotiation is a key thing. And depending on what time of year, how close to quarter end for the sales team, how close to year end, whether you've got a prestige brand in a vertical that the vendor really wants to to get a you know a really rich case study for to be able to open them up to, to other people in that market. There are so many different 
facets that give you a stronger or weaker negotiating hand. But the, the, I think the key thing to take away is always negotiate the hell out of it to see what you can get. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a couple of other models worth teasing out to people. Uh, and then if I've missed any obvious ones, you can plug the gaps for me, Paul. But content consumption, so things like page views. Um, so this is a model that EpiServer uses. EpiServer's also got flexibility in it, depending on size of business and type of business. But their core one is around a page view model. They, they are a, um, a commerce platform with enterprise level uh, content management and personalization capabilities. So a lot of the people historically have used an EpiService uh, platform, being ones where the content and editorial side is really important to the business. So the page view thing made a bit more sense there. And again, it's in band. So it, as you move up your page view tiers, the license fee will increase, but the license fee is modular as well because they have different elements to the product. They have the core commerce engine, they have a content management system, they have personalization tool, they have an analytics module, et cetera. So depending on how many modules you are using, you get um, in incremental costs, but also you get bundle pricing. So the more components you use, even though your overall cost goes up, the actual marginal cost of adding those components drops quite considerably because they're giving you an incentive to take more of their stack, which is why it's, it's never such a simple thing as, it, this license fee is X and, and you can extrapolate that across every single uh, a project. But at least by understanding these mod models and the different ways that license fees are cut, it will give you a few insights into the kind of conversations you need to have. Uh, and then the final one for me is, is based on like transactions, order volume. So big commerce um, currently um, does that. So depending on the number of orders going through your platform, that will be the license fee that you're paying. And this is a really interesting one for me because when you start looking at different um, uh, types of uh, uh, platform and different vendors in the space depending on your business model one might be way more affordable than the other even though they're quite similar so a good example would be big commerce and shopify if you are turning over a small number of transactions but you have a huge average order value and therefore what's driving your revenue is the basket size the license fee will, will be cheaper on big commerce simply because they're based on transactions not on GMV percentage share like Shopify is. It doesn't mean that that's the only determinant in which platform you use, but suddenly one platform can seem a lot more cost affordable um, than another uh, based on your, your model. So that is, you know, number of transactions, amount of content being consumed, average order value, etc. So that's my summary. What, any, anything I've missed or anything you want to elaborate on, Paul? No, I don't think so. I think, I mean, the, the only other model, so occasionally, so Shopware, I, think, I don't know if it still is with the whole API first route there going down, but historically it was just fixed price tiers, wasn't it? Um, which was, I think it was like 30,000 euros for enterprise per year or something like that. And then there were a few variables, but it's pretty fixed. Um, and then I think Spryker was uh, based on developer usage. So number of developer seats you would buy um, for the platform, which is quite an interesting model. And then there are a few that use API usage. Um, but yeah, I think overall they're the kind of main ones that I've seen with platforms. Excellent. And one other thing we were talking about um, before we uh, started this session was helping people understand what like-for-like -like comparison is across platforms. Because one of the things that, that, that you often find is people will look at, say, upfront build and license fees and think, ah, oh, well, actually, this platform over three years is £100,000 cheaper. Wow, that's, that's a better investment decision. But we, we both know that platforms aren't all like for like in terms of their native 
the capability, what you get out the box that you can just turn on. And sometimes you'll see a platform that could be cheaper to build on than a cheaper license fee, but to achieve the level of capability and e-commerce functionality you want and that are defined by your requirements and your scope, you need to then plug in specialist third-party tools on top of, which then adds a different um, uh, cost into the model. And that's a critical thing. A good example would be, say you use a platform like uh, BigCommerce or Shopify, which are you know, fantastic e-commerce platforms, really rich e-commerce functionality. They have good standard um, content management around page builder capability. But if you want to go to that enhanced level of CMS and get enterprise grade features, you know, true, true drag and drop interfaces, proper workflow, publish, manage, um, publish um, queues, etc., that won't do it natively. You then have to go to an additional CMS that adds a license fee. That license fee scales as you push more volume through it. Now, all of a sudden, what looks like a hundred thousand pound cheaper over three years can suddenly be actually exactly the same cost, or even in some cases, or I've seen it then pushes that platform to be more expensive in the long run. Uh, do you find similar things, Paul, in terms of uh, helping people understand that long-term cost implication? Yeah, absolutely. And I think on top of that, with those two platforms, um, as your example, they also, because of the way that they handle multiple stores, often like third parties, like um, a, not, necess- not as commonly with CMS solutions, but with a lot of the kind of apps and plugin, um, they're per store. So if you're an international retail and you've got five separate stores, um, unless you negotiate, you'll be paying five times for that third party. Um, that can add up as well. Um, and that's another thing that isn't often factored into TCO. Um, and then you've also got things like um, the, so with Shopify, you've got the uh, potential transaction fees if you're using an external gateway. Um, and then if you are using Shopify payments, depending on which country you're in, um, you may need to bolt on their fraud protect product or an additional fraud service. Things like that are just kind of variables that you might not factor into other platforms. Um, and I get, yeah, one of the ones that I see a lot in terms of uh, people thinking a platform might be really cheap, but then actually when you look at it, it's, um, it's not as compelling is Magento open source. So in a lot of cases, um, I find that Magento open source would cost a lot less or the TCO would be less than uh, big commerce or Shopify. Um, but obviously there's no licensing fee, which kind of draws people in. Um, but then you, when you factor in the support retainer, the upgrades, um, the kind of cost of um, roadmap development or kind of features that need to come after launch and kind of integrations and the build cost, um, actually um, it works out more expensive. And I think that's where you really need to look at what those kind of variables are for each platform before you do a TCO? Definitely. And I think that's probably the, the key takeaway learning for anybody today is, is understand the platform model and the operational requirements that sit around it in order for you to deliver your, your BAU capabilities in the business. So you know, that whole thing about building, supporting, releasing, upgrading, patching, fixing, also internal teams do you need to ramp up your your web ops team because actually the platform needs more um, configuration and management and day-to-day work on it in order to keep it trading running effectively and support the business teams versus a, a platform where that's all done you don't need to touch any of that it's all provided within the core application support of which you're paying within the license fee so yeah really, really important and that that point you touched on about shopify and payments is really uh, interesting one as well because if you're paying, I think it was point, was it 0.15% uh, 
um, surcharge if you don't use Shopify yeah. payments, but you use your own third party gateway. And there's sometimes some genuine reasons for doing that. If you have custom uh, or complex payment flows and checkout processes for consolidated baskets or different types of payment method that isn't as easy to enable in a, a standardized uh, payment gateway like Shopify payments, then you've got to factor that, that cost in and what you perceive to be the saving from a license fee can suddenly be eaten up. doesn't mean it's the wrong decision. It just means you need to um, balance that and decide whether or not that still makes it a justifiable investment. Excellent. Very, very uh, useful points there. Thanks, Paul. So that brings me on to a final question. Uh, I'm going to throw you away, which is who do you think needs to be involved in TCO planning within a client team and why as well? Yeah, I think that's a good question. So I guess um, with anything going into these kind of big replatforming projects, I think bringing as many stakeholders into it as possible is always a good idea. Um, looking at kind of the last ones we've done, when we've been looking at costs, um, so we've definitely had someone from finance involved, um, and that comes down to some of those points around kind of payments, um, gateway fees, everything else, regardless of uh, which one you're using. Um, and then also things like fraud as well. Um, marketing because there'll be various costs on there so and also I'd imagine with a lot of these projects um, they're going to be split across different departments uh, the costs sorry so um, for example if you're I don't know doing a, a enhanced e-com with a Shopify build you'd probably use a third party and it might be that third party goes through um, a marketing budget rather than an e-com budget um, just as an example um, so I think yeah so definitely kind of finance marketing obviously e-com IT um, would be four obvious ones um, and then I guess anyone else that's representative of costs uh, going into the project and the kind of operational side beyond that um, and then the other reason for kind of bringing as many people in as possible is just so that they're aware um, and they're kind of bought into the costs um, that would be the only thing that I could think of what about you what have you found with this area? I think that's spot on uh, IT and finance for me are the two critical ones on top of the e-commerce team uh, but third parties, and I think you alluded to that, where you have a third party who will have a dependency on the platform, so that could, whether that's a marketing agency who needs to understand where where anything's changing in terms of like tracking and tagging or campaign execution and landing pages for campaigns they're running, uh, paid media is a good example, or if it's uh, an SEO partner who therefore has got to get involved from a migration point of view to ensure that they're not suddenly going to have a, a hemorrhaging of traffic then those additional um, fees uh, um, need to be factored and therefore their, their time needs to be used intelligently to get them to, to, to help you input into that and support that process and make sure that, that they believe that the, um, the, uh, the money that you're estimating is needs can be spent is accurate for them instead of just saying, well, we've got £2,000 to do a site migration and then your technical SEA agency says there's no way we can do it for that amount of money. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Excellent. Is there anything else? That's that's covered the key things that, that I think are useful for people from TCO model planning. Anything else you think we've missed off at all? No, I don't think so. I think that's, uh, yeah, we've covered some really good uh, points. Um, yeah, like you said earlier, I think your resource for um, uh, with the example TCO spreadsheet, I think is really useful. So I'd definitely recommend having a look at that. Um, yeah, I think that's it really from my side. Okay, excellent. And anyone interested in finding that resource on the, on the replatform um post for this uh, episode there'll be a link to it but if you're listening somewhere else like on a spotify or apple for example if you just go to digitaljuggler.com in the top menu 
select e-commerce replatform and then how to expert guide you'll find the guide to tco model in there please do take a look and if you like it obviously i'm not going to be upset if you share that with people mm-hmm. um, so yeah so thanks to everyone again for listening we hope you found this useful and give you some food for thought if you haven't already signed up for the newsletter please do so because we send updates when there's a new episode ready straight to your inbox you don't have to miss out again but thanks everyone for listening. If you've got any questions, as always, file them across to myself or Paul via uh, um, social media. We're on Twitter, LinkedIn, and please do keep the ears open for our next podcast coming up. Any anything else you want to close with, Paul? I hope it's brilliant. Thanks everyone. Amazing. See you all later. <laughs>